Hello and welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm James Brown, Editor-in-Chief, and joining me to dissect and discuss all the news that's worth publishing are two of our great featured writers, Andy Mitten and Sam Pilger. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. You all right, Andy? Um, uh, each podcast that we do, we're going to just be looking at the, the biggest features in our latest edition and talking about football in general. This is the first ever 442 Podcast, so God knows how it will go and where we'll go. Uh, I'm a Leeds United fan. These two are both Manchester United fans, so I feel a little bit, uh, a little bit. Well, it's probably fairly balanced, really. <laughs> uh, but uh, so the first issue that I've edited is uh, has got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on, which Andy's written. And you've written a brilliant piece, and uh, obviously got quite a lot of stick from Leeds fans saying, "Why have you put him on?" And I was just arguing that even if you don't like Man United, it, it, it's you know a really strong, in-depth piece. Can you just tell us a little bit? First of all, tell us a bit about Fergie, because I think as a non-Man United fan, that was the most fascinating, that you've spoken to about four or five, six, seven different sources. Somebody reveals that Sir Alex meets with Ollie every week. Yeah, he's he's not controlling Ollie like a puppet. Like no. I've read a couple of times. He's He's in the background and... Is always available, but it's very informal. It might be Ollie after a game going into the main stand and going into Sir Alex's suite and saying hello to him. And Sir Alex will be with his family and they'll have a chat. And as Ollie said, why wouldn't I go to this man who can dispense so much advice, who knows his club better than anybody? And the previous managers didn't always do it. They were a little bit, they were certainly respectful, but Van Hal said, I don't want the the ghost of Ferguson hanging over me. Yeah. Mourinho made more efforts to get him back involved at Manchester United. He invited him down to the training ground. And that was the first time he'd been back to the training ground. David Moyes had a good relationship with him at the start, but pretty early on in Moyes' time there, senior players were contacting Fergie and saying, can we speak to you? And he was saying, no, no, Moyes is in charge now. I don't care. I'm coming around to your house. We've, we've got big problems here. I'm coming to see you. And Which players would I... Uh, I'm not going to say because okay. they told me in confidence, but they have, went. Have they left them? Um, yeah, that yeah, okay. a couple of them have. And you know, Fergie can't not open the door to someone who's played 400 times to them, and that showed how. There's people now looking on Google. <laughs> oh, they won't find it. <laughs> that um, so why not use Fergie? He's there. He's in great health, uh, but Ollie is very much his own man. He learned a lot under Sir Alex and he's got good coaches around him and he sees it as a team effort. I mean, I started the piece by saying when he got awarded the manager of the month for January, it was put to him, you've won it. He said, no, I've not. It, this Our team have won it. And the Premier League wanted pictures of, of Ollie with the trophy, which isn't unreasonable. And he said, no, I want pictures of my whole coaching team here. So he teams, sees it as a team effort. But since he signed the contract permanently, United are quite keen for it to be known that He's the man. He's the manager. He's the one who has to take responsibility. The book stops with him. And he can have all these people around him guiding him and be good foils to him. Mike Phelan, for example, can push back against the commercial demands of the club. Oh, that was in the uh, piece you mentioned that, that Mike Phelan was like uh, a sort of buffer between the commercial expectations. Is that what he did for Ferguson as well? He was, I mean, it's almost like um, 
executive role, isn't it, rather than a coaching role? Yeah, I mean, he's a football coach first and foremost. He's, he's a football man. He was a good footballer. He had a decent career at, in the top level. But maybe the commercial department might go to him rather than Fergie and say, we've got this 20-day tour of Asia and we want you to be doing commercial work on 24 days here. And uh, Mike feel as well, that's absolutely impossible. So he would push right back from that and say, no, nine days and two hours a day and then yeah. he would find a, a happy medium with Sir Alex because the commercial work is important a large chunk of their pay salaries comes from that yeah. so United have been very successful in attracting sponsors around the world and they have to go and glad hand with the sponsors they can send ambassadors all they like but if sponsors are paying tens of millions of pounds they want to speak to the, the main people it seems pretty smart the way he's assembled uh people who were available so you know bringing Michael Carrick very close to the centre of the management team uh, bringing Phelan back I guess from I don't know what he was doing he'd, he'd had an unsuccessful spell at Hull um, and using people like obviously Alex Ferguson who was his mentor as a manager and player um, is, is is that something that was sort of unexpected of him? I don't think anyone expected Oli Gunnar to get the job when people were writing at the start of this season as things got worse and worse under Mourinho the names coming forward were, were Zidane um, Pochettino and Pochettino I understood was willing to join Manchester United this summer he wasn't going to walk out on Tottenham pre-season of course he'll never say that that yeah. now and you have flavours of the month and fans start get, getting swayed by flavours of the month I remember it was Sven Goran Eriksson when, when Sir Alex was going to step down before changing his mind but Ollie's right to make and bring these people involved because between him, Mike Phelan and Michael Carrick, there's over 45 years of experience in the club mm. there and these things are important. But Ollie's not been at the club for a while. He's gone back in. He asks questions every day. Why, 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 why are we doing this? Why don't we do this anymore? Why are we doing it that way? And staff were pretty stunned because he was only came in as a, as a caretaker manager for five mm. months and yet he acted right from the start like somebody who wanted to be there for much longer. I just think it's common sense to get people who know the club well, uh, who the players like, who the players trust, because a lot of that was lost when Sir Alex stepped down. And David Moyes brought his own people in. I think that was a mistake, wasn't it? That he didn't. Well, it happens least, in football. It was, but it, every manager brings their own players in. And you but, can, you no, can argue a, it rightly and wrongly. They say in the great books, or the, you know, the big thought on power is never follow the most powerful person. So. Also, Moyes, I think, was a romantic choice by Ferguson's. Sam, are you happy the way it's, it's worked out? It's taken three managers to get someone that the fans, you get a sense, will be behind for quite a long time. Well, I, I think they'll be behind for a while, but obviously it's, it's all about results and with, with the morning after the, the Wolves game. Um, he, he surprised me. He, he Solskjaer has surprised me. I, I didn't expect him to make such a good start. I suppose we'll, we'll really see now how good he is because he's had that, that little blip and, and they've lost a few games. So, so now we'll see if he can p pull it out, finish in the top four and do well against Barcelona. But I, I can't pretend, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the Twitter is record is there that I, I thought it was an absurd decision. I, I was absolutely shocked. His um, appointment. His yeah, his, appointment. his appointment, yeah. And I've been proven wrong so far. But what I wonder is, did... I, I understand why there wasn't a natural... Um, why Ferguson had to step away. I understood that. 
So Moyes, it's his appointment. He wants him to do well on his own two feet. And then Van Gaal and Mourinho, even though they haven't had the length of success of Ferguson, but they are of the same stature in terms of the, the sort of footballing levels have achieved. Um, so he wouldn't want to get involved there. But do you think, I mean, you might know this, Andy, do you think the board, after Mourinho didn't work, just turned to Ferguson and said, what do we do? They got him back involved and they didn't use him enough post... Uh, the, I mean, at, at, at the, yeah, yeah. the board level. Yeah, they didn't use him enough. He sat on a board, the football board, rather than the company board, and that board basically had no power at all. And you should be using the brains of Sir Alex Ferguson, mm. and they're doing that more now. Uh, with David Moyes, from his perspective, you can't say no when Man United offer you the job. It no, just di- it just didn't work well, out. Didn't he just tell him he had the job? Yeah, yeah, I got him. that he went round to his house and said, "You're the new manager yeah, of Man United." Yeah, he did. I think the thing with, with with Moyes was that I think Ferguson probably didn't realise how good he was. I think it was. I think he thought he'd, he'd built this club. Everything was ticking over. The players were there. United just won the title by tw- 12, 13 points. I don't think he realised how good he was that you couldn't just get a manager who was used to finishing seventh and eighth in the Premier League. And I think he liked, there was a bit of romanticism to it. The, the, the Glaswegian, the Scottish, it's from the same, you know, the, the Shankly. He saw himself be. in him. Yeah, he saw himself in him and he thought he's, he's, he's earned this with 10 years at Everton. He's earned this and he'll take it on. And uh, the players are there, and I've built this. And uh, and you took Ferguson. I, I think you know Ferguson's got an ego. Of course, he has after his all he's achieved. But I th- don't think he realised quite how good he was. You couldn't just hand it to a, a top eight Premier League manager and 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 continue as as was 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 proved. Okay, just very quickly to wrap this up on uh, Manchester United. Is Oli Andy going to sustain the upbeat success he's had at the start of his? Well, through his uh, temporary managership, now that he's the full-time manager. It's going to be hard. Competition's much tougher than it was when for, for most of the time that Fergie was there. Manchester City have got an exceptional team. Chelsea have got money. Tottenham are, are very mm. good as well. This is the best Liverpool team for, for a long time. And they've all got money. These rivals don't need to sell the best players. Manchester United used to go to Tottenham and buy Berbatov or Carrick. They don't need to sell them anymore. Leicester City didn't need to sell Harry Maguire to Manchester United because mm. they don't need the money. Oli needs support. He'll get money, but as has been shown among the, the wasteful signings Man United have made, you need more than that. You need good recruitment. You need a stronger structure. I think he's got a really difficult job. I like him. I, I think it's been brilliant since he's, he's taken over. I think he's got a very difficult job. In your piece, which is the the uh, cover story of, of the latest 4-4-2, you quote Gary Neville saying that Manchester United desperately needed a proper director of football. Is that his application? Do you think Gary Neville would be good in that role? I think he'd be very good in that role, but he wouldn't take that role. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Because he likes doing the media work. He doesn't need the money. He's got his, he's his own boss. He's got his own freedom and he wouldn't take the role. And it's a shame. I'm surprised at that because I thought with the respect he has of the fans, with his knowledge yeah. of the media, having had an unsuccessful but probably very educational spell as a manager, he would, uh, and also as a businessman, he's got his property business, that, that he would suit it perfectly. Yeah, he would Are you do. sure he doesn't want it? Yeah. I think that's bonkers. But who, Sam, who, who, who do you think that would be good for that role? I think it might be someone who's who's already in the club or somebody not high profile. Really, I think 
um, that 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 knows the structure and so on. I mean, you could bring in a figurehead like Gary Neville or or someone, but um, I think it is needed. I think obviously they've they've gone they've swayed from one manager to the next. There needs to be some more continuity in there. Um, you know, there, there's there was Monchi obviously who went. It was. Uh, He's gone back to Sevilla now from mm. Roma. He's the sort of the darling of the, the, the sporting directors. But maybe they need somebody just low-key. Um, uh, you know, you've got bigger figures at the club already with Solskjaer and Ferguson. You're listening to the 442 podcast with me, James Brown, Andy Mitten and Sam Pilger. Now, Sam, in this uh, 299th issue of 442, you have a fantastic piece with Kevin King. And I can say that because I arrived as editor-in-chief two weeks in. I didn't commission it. So it's quite a nice position to be in. But it's it's a brilliant piece. Can you just tell us... Uh, well, first of all, I should explain why I think it's brilliant. It's so emotive. We were talking about Alex Ferguson there, and he's very open about what was perceived to be an emotional explosion or semi-breakdown or whatever you want to call that, uh, that soundbite that he came out with at Ellen Road many years ago. He talks really interestingly about that. And he's just a very honest, um, almost uh, almost too honest in a way. You don't really hear football managers talking uh, that emotionally about their careers. Give us a little bit of background about how you set the interview up and how you got him to talk like that. Well, it was, it was uh, a few months ago when he was promoting his uh, autobiography. And rather than just a, a broad sweep of his career, we, we thought, what can we focus on and really you know, go in, in depth on. Um, and uh, the, the the Newcastle years, the first Newcastle years, uh, when he arrived back in 1992 and, and until, well, January 97, with the the centrepiece, obviously, the 95-96 season when they were there, everybody's... Um, everybody's darlings everybody wanted them to win the title they played they played uh you know good football interesting football but obviously united over had almost a better story with with Cantona's return and 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 overtook them but keegan yeah i mean i've interviewed you know thousands of footballers and sports people and 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 uh, for more than 20 years and 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 keegan is one of the most infectious lovely characters and an absolute joy you know, he, he he bounded into the room, and for the, I think for the first time ever, he said uh, he said to me, "Oh, you're a United fan, aren't you?" And I said, "Oh yeah, how'd you know that? Oh, I've been googling you." And you don't really get that with interviewees. You know, you're just a it's like you, you're the Sainsbury's checkout. They don't just go through a lot of the time. But Keegan, yeah, he'd, he'd looked into to that. Funnily enough, it's interesting. It's interesting you say bounded in mm. because reading it is almost a little bit like a therapy session. Uh, you've written it in the first person, mm. um, so if you've already got got the magazine, it's it's not an extract from the book. This is uh, Sammer's, but it's they're all his words. You've not ghost no. written it, have you? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've just kind of tailored them into the first person. Um, so that was interesting. He was not beat mood. So he was just he was just being open. He didn't. I mean, at times he sounded a bit depressed. No, no, not he was infectious, and you could see okay. actually why players like playing for him and players love playing for him because he was so enthusiastic and he was he was he was you know bouncy and and it was this was at nine o'clock in the morning. Where, where did you interview him? It was uh, at a hotel in in Leicester Square. Okay, so uh, it was it was like a, was it a day of press. It was a day of press. I think I was the, the the first one, but the PR said that 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 it'd been an incredible time because he. 
he he wouldn't just you know sign and, and at, at book signings he'd, he'd talk you know someone would say oh I remember you from 25 years ago my mum yet met you and this and so on he just wouldn't stop talking he, he loves he football loves it. he loves it yeah now, yeah now when we were talking about uh, when we were planning on which features to focus on um, and and Steve the producer and I were talking about Keegan we really got a sense of he should be involved in football mm. what what is he doing at the moment did he talk about what he's current role is in football has he has he got one no no he 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 came back to newcastle didn't he that that well but that was a long time ago now he's 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 happy he, i don't think he wants to come back into football he does his talks he says he he, he does his talks to the sort of uh um, Royal Nursing um, Federation, where he, he he brings up the the uh, the I would love it uh, rant yeah. in '96 and says you know but the, you know and says this is a sign of passion. So he, he goes around and does talks. Um, but this is a guy who who's quite happy to walk away from football because when he finished yeah he did playing he went and lived in Spain for four years and didn't and didn't go to a single game before he went to one game in four years. Lived in Marbella. Costa del Sol and, and so he, 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 he loves football but he can walk away from it and he's done it many times Andy would, would you have him as the director of football at Manchester <laughs> United <laughs> no but I like him I went to interview him in 96 when yeah. he was at Newcastle and when Sam's talking about his infectious personality I saw that and I always remember him saying that this is a football club i.e. Newcastle United Manchester United is an institution and it was a sort of double-edged compliment but he was very welcoming and like Sam, I've interviewed hundreds of footballers and he's one who stood out. And Peter Beardsley as well, actually, he was very good, but maybe not talk so much about him as Kevin <laughs> Kevin Keegan. The, the thing about Keegan is, the as a player, I mean, anybody uh, under 30, maybe even under 35, won't have any memory of Keegan as a player. But, I mean, he was the, the nearest co player to compare him to, I would say, in, in recent decades, is David Beckham, in terms of the amount of attraction he had he was the he was the british superstar that followed george best and that's kind of overshadowed by a managerial career that we've we we talk about passion exciting football but not a great deal of success in terms of he won loads of games at fulham won lots of games at newcastle uh he captured the imagination of non-club specific fans you know the broader football in um support but he it feels to me they're almost like two different people. The player who was totally successful, the manager who was perhaps more suited to a a more naive period of time, a Shank, you know, like as Shankly was. Mm. Well, I, I mean, he came, uh, you know, as I said, he came off literally off the beach four years in in in, in Spain. Um, Settled in Manchester now. Lives in Manchester. Yes, that's right in Cheshire. Yeah, yeah, just outside. Um, and he, um, his daughter thought he was a golfer, had no idea about his football career because he just played golf and, and, and went to the beach, didn't see any football, and then got the call from Newcastle. And, and, and the fact that without any coaching badges or having even seen a game in the last four years, he went into Newcastle, who were looking like getting um, uh, relegation to the third division then, the third tier, uh, and, and and turned it around and, and you know, took them a couple of points from winning the Premier League. I mean, it... You know, not quite what Brian Clough did two decades earlier with Forrest, who had the happy endings, but that coming in, taking a club from the lower reaches of the first, well, the the old second division, and 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 getting really close to 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 winning the Premier League. And he talks about why he thinks they didn't, which was interesting. I, I th yeah, he didn't use the word, but I mean, 
and it's a horrible word in sport, but they bottled it really. They 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 just didn't have the players. They 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 seized up. They got scared. They they did the hard bit. They put the points on the table. Bef- you know, in January, obviously, twelve points clear. Although. They were 12 points clear, but he's always wanting to say that United had a game in hand. So <laughs> I'm not sure about this phrase, bottled it. Cause mm. I, th- I think about this a lot. At the moment, my club leads are seven games away from a possible return to the, the top uh, competition in, in world football. So the sense of excitement after being 15 years away is just immense. You, you're going into a Saturday and people are like, tweeting they're just how bad they feel and you just feel great you play the same teams twice everybody play it's like an experiment you all are under exactly the same conditions i know people are might have better players or better managers or bigger supports or uh more money to invest but you all play the same teams now if you play a team when they're on a good run and then later somebody else plays them when they're on on a poor run that that's just the random nature of it when Manchester United, when Leeds United won the last first division title, Manchester United didn't bottle it. They just played the same amount of games. You know, you could play it and not know when anyone else's scores. And you'd, st- I think, you'd still play the same. It, it's, well, I, I'm not sure. I think it's the pressure. It's what on the line. I mean, you know, you can play good football in September and October. The season started, the sun's still out. And there's there's still points to play for, and it's an equal amount of points. But the season hasn't taken its shape. There's nothing to lose in a way. There's nothing to lose. When you come to March and April, you know Fergie famously called it squeaky bum time. Then then that is when players and, and Keegan in this season said looked at United and United had had won it in '93 and '94 and narrowly not won it in '95. And they had you know Pallister, Bruce, Cantona, Keane, Schmeichel. They had that experience. Newcastle had none of that, and so they had nothing to fall back on. Yeah, go on, Andy. Cheers for reminding us about 92, James, <laughs> with Leeds winning it. Yeah, but no, because uh, no, but uh, I don't think Man United bottled it. I just think you played the same teams as us. As the us, players would say. And we did better against the other teams. Yeah, you deserve to win it, no doubt. But you also get experienced in those situations. That's and you true. become used to, to the pressure. Yeah. And back to Keegan, he was a world-class footballer. And he was a very, very good manager just wasn't the best manager. But what he did at Newcastle, he put a massive buzz into that club and mm. into that city and revived a team who at the start of the 90s were, were really on, on their uppers. I can remember him at Southampton. I know he'd, he'd obviously been at his peak at, at Liverpool and in Germany. Is this as a player? Yeah. My uncle took him on tour to Malaysia and, and came back with a picture of Kevin Keegan sat on a donkey uh, with uh, his autograph and also the autograph of Sir Matt Busby. So I took them both into school because if you had something interesting, you could hand it to yeah. the, the headmaster and he'd say, this is uh, what this student has brought him. And I thought, there you go, Kevin Keegan, Matt Busby. And he stood up and he said, uh, this is the autograph of, of Busby off the BT advert. No, 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 I'm just <laughs> dying of embarrassment there that, you know, this great figure, Matt Busby, I've somehow got his <laughs> autograph and... Uh, you know, remember Busby off the t- the, the British Television advert, yeah. the, the little yellow bird or whatever. <laughs> but Keegan's life has been a big success and yeah. football and history will remember him exceptionally well and rightly so. Hey Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm 
getting so cold, but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget, just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You're listening to the 442 Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through iTunes and Spotify. Very much a podcast of three United here. We've discussed Newcastle United and Manchester United. Now we're moving on to, unsurprisingly, Leeds United. Andy, you've spent a lot of time covering Spanish football. And I know that you were, you were friends or you're associates with the, the talismanic player that we have at Leeds at the moment. Pablo Hernandez? Correct. I got invited to interview him in 2011. He'd been man of the match against Manchester United and he knew his agent. Yeah. So I went down to Valencia and had a perfectly nice chat with him and he probably wanted to do the interview because he wanted to play in England, maybe where there was more money and I know yeah. he ended up going to Swansea. And interview was fine, really liked him, followed his career from there on in, couldn't ever say I was mates with him. But what I remember from that day was walking into a civil war because Unai Emery was manager of Valencia and okay. I walked in as this sort of wide-eyed English journalist, not knowing that he was at war with all the Valencian media, which happens most weeks in Valencia. Okay. And I sort of asked him an innocent question, next week you're playing Chelsea, and he just snapped back at me. I just thought, what a knob. You know, I've gone <laughs> down there to the training ground. I'm being polite. I'm writing for big outlets, and I'm asking you a, an innocent question, and then I, I got an apology. Um, sorry about that. There's just a lot of tension in the air at the moment. So maybe Gary Neville should have heeded but yeah. that one but Valencia was always like that Hernandez was a good player he wasn't the top top uh, Ruben Baraja style David Villas um, David Silva mm. Valencian but I'm really impressed that he's still doing it at, at, you know he, at Leeds and how old is he now 32 he's he's, cons- he's being compared to what Strachan did mm. His, his performances are Stop bringing are up 92. <laughs> no, but, um, we didn't do it at Man United, did he? He did it at Allen Road. The reason we're talking about Bielsa and, and Leeds United isn't just because I support them uh, and, and, that we're, and that we're doing well, but we have a fantastic uh, second managerial orientated piece in, in issue 299 or 442 uh, after Andy's uh, Oli Solskjaer piece. And that is uh, A Year with Bielsa by Phil Hay. And Phil is the leading sports writer on the Yorkshire Evening Post. And I think in days gone by when national newspapers had a lot more money, he'd have been snapped up and whisked away to London a long time ago as a, as a fan. It's, it, it's, it's great to have such uh, brilliant writing on, on your local team in, in the local paper. And um, because Bielsa doesn't do one-on-ones, I asked Phil, you've spent two or three hours a week in a room with him. Can you just write about what that year's been like? And it's, it's a fascinating insight. And in much in the same way as as your piece, Andy, is full of different voices uh, and giving us the inside track on, on, on what it's like around Manchester United. Phil's insights into being with Bielsa uh, rather than just the things he's saying are fascinating. So along the lines of 
he was driving out of Thorpe Park to the training ground one day and he saw Bielsa just walking along the road with a rucksack and he pulled over and said, do you want a lift? He said, no, no, I like walking. <laughs> he's a genius. He's, I, can he's can a genius. you imagine <laughs> imagine like another Where manager was he doing to? that? He was walking to the nearby uh, town, <laughs> town of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was walking to Weatherby where he's where he's living, and uh, but he was again he, you know, you know him from from Bilbao. His Bilbao team were fantastic, and I spoke a lot about him even before. Um, you know, a lot of British people never heard of him. I remember a, um, a pretty famous TV, um, a radio commentator saying Bielsa, who? I thought, That's really embarrassing. You should know who he is. This guy, he's a genius. I love the style of football. I love the fact that when they were leading at Old Trafford and Herrera went to the side of the pitch and said do you want us to close the game now he said no no continue to attack this is athletic club Bilbao away at Manchester United battered Manchester United he's a star I went to Rosario the city where he's from last year it should worth saying is also the hometown of Che Guevara yeah. and Messi yeah. to me that's where he sits yeah. right in the middle of those two yeah, I went to the derby there, and uh, three days before the derby, they changed the date of the derby, so I didn't get to see the derby there. Ah, okay. But I went to the, the Newell's Old Boy Stadium, is named after yep. Bielsa now, and he's a character. Uh, he adds to football, like Keegan does, and I loved it when he came here, and he even went over to Ellen Road. Which you is, did? Yeah, I went over in September to watch him play Brentford and just watched him. He fascinates me. I want him in the Premier League. He's not like any other manager I've ever come across. And when he first arrived, they were talking, they were using his old nickname of El Loco. He's not a madman. He just does the job to such uh, an extent. His knowledge of the players, his knowledge of the opposition, his understanding of how to control a game. He's just a really smart guy. And he's, he's, I mean, his family are academics. He's an obsessive. He seems to have ridden out the, the Spygate scandal rather well as, as well. And I think that was sort of overhyped because I thought, well, Good on you, mate. You know, you, 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 he's trying to do the ex, go the extra mile, and but you know, he's I not mean, doing anything illegal. So I thought that was a very, you know, English etiquette was upset, but too bad. He wants it, to win it games. Was, it was largely a load of second-rate players who'd all failed in management, yeah. moaning about it <laughs> yeah. on um, on the radio. Basically, you know, if you if you think that uh, clubs that are found guilty of of having racist uh, chants at the grounds get fined. You know, fifteen, twenty-five thousand for Leeds to be fined two hundred thousand for a, an intern stroke scout stood on a path looking through a fence, not doing anything illegal. Yeah. So you know. uh, no, I mean it was a it was a distraction, and I guess Leeds just coughed that money up a because th they could afford it, and b because they didn't want anything else. You know, the, the danger of having points like Birmingham City have just had. It's um, something Phil mentions in the article is that. I mean, Leeds have paid a lot of money. If if we don't go up, I imagine there will be a few uh, first-team names heading off, maybe a Calvin Phillips or Panthers Jansen or Kemar Roof, you know, the players that you'd reach that would get somewhere between five and £10 million pounds for. Leeds um, are planning three different scenarios right now for next season. Premier League with Bielsa, yeah. Championship or life without Bielsa. So the way your club has got a structure for next season in terms well, of their recruitment, well, three massively different scenarios. Well, Phil does say in the in the piece that Leeds announced it as a two-year deal, but actually he spoke to people very close to him back in South America, and they said it's it's a two-year deal if you get promoted. So this next seven weeks, uh, or you know, the next seven games, very very exciting, tense period. But it's just you know, it, it, as a fan, you can't do anything. 
you can only watch and enjoy it. So it's my mates are saying, why aren't you all wound up? Because we've been here. We've been here like a couple of years ago under Gary Monk. I wouldn't let myself think we were going to get even in the playoffs until this week, the first week of April. And then, you know, we had a really bad t- last six weeks. And So what, what does your instinct tell you this season then? Um, I think we'll go up. There have been games where the players have just dug in and got on and followed up. Bielsa said there was a last-minute equaliser against Middlesbrough from Calvin Phillips. There were two televised games at Christmas where we won in extra time. That's not fluke. That's intensity and, and ability. Uh, Pablo Hernandez, is, uh, like how he wasn't in the EFL play, you know, play team of the year, it's just bizarre. He's, his stats are amazing. He's, I mean, he's, as Andy said, he's, he's, he's a guy who's getting on, but he's scoring goals like, you know, uh, you know, a young striker. He's saying he's he's been involved in more goals, I think, than any other player, any other midfield player in, in the championship. And so that is my gut instinct. Is that I mean, I think the only team to worry about is if we didn't make automatic would be Aston Villa have come on a really strong run into the into the playoffs. They've got to go up, Villa. The way their finances are structured. If they don't, I think they're going to have Aston Villa or problems. Leeds. Um, Villa. Yeah. I think they both have. Yeah. That's not going to work. It's a great league, that championship. I looked at the average attendances at the weekend. 25,000 in England's second tier. It's incredible. Well, I, I compare it to... I don't, I don't drink beer, okay? But when I see the sort of the fuss around craft beer, <laughs> about, about authenticity and personality, that's what it's like being in the championship. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I went straight in and done, did a huge piece on Leeds in this issue of 442, why we're talking about it. I felt the same when Newcastle were in the second tier. Um, there are lots of really big clubs at that level. Clubs who've won European Cups. Have Leeds won the European Cup, James? I was thinking more of a team <laughs> Aston Villa. Because well, I spoke to some well, Leeds have, fans yeah, who well, say no, they have. No, we have won European Cups, not the European Cup, but we've won European trophies. Um, but whether you're looking at teams that have recently been promoted like Newcastle and Wolves or demoted like Sunderland, relegated like Sunderland, Leeds, Aston Villa, Ipswich, uh, Nottingham Forest... These are clubs that don't slip down to seven, 8,000 uh, attendances. The crowd, crowd's incredible. They support the teams, whatever, and it, it's genuinely a great division. You, there's a lot. Of, Wolves were brilliant last year. It doesn't surprise me at all that Wolves are seventh. Next year, Wolves will be in the top six. They've got the money. They've got the people behind them. They've got a very good manager. And it's, I actually think if we came up, that BLC, if he sticks around, Leeds will do well because of the quality of football we play. My fear was when... Mourinho went that that Manchester United will go, he's doing a great job with kids there. And the same at Chelsea. Chelsea have got that ban now. They've got all those great kids that have been, that, you know, not really getting a game. And in the Herrera interview we had two issues ago, he was saying, I would love to see Bielsa in the Premier League, but not going as far as saying with Leeds. He said, at any club. you just got to be careful there, hasn't it? With the Championship, I know there's money tends to buy you a higher place up the league, but... Preston North End are 10th and they've got a tiny budget. Brentford, who I saw at Ellen Road, they play, play great football. They're Brentford averaging 10,000. Really Huddersfield Andy, Town continue. came up. It's amazing. Huddersfield Town were promoted to the Premier League. No, it's become the norm now. That shouldn't have happened. Every year, the likes of Stoke come down, Swansea come down. The people well, where are they now? 15th and 16th? Yeah, people who don't know this league instantly say, all the bookies and the, 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 the pundits say, the teams that get relegated will come back up. It just doesn't work like that. 
Wolves, Sheffield United, both by far the best teams I saw last year in terms of teams. Uh, Huddersfield Town had, had a couple of really good lo loanees. I think that's a key factor of, you know, can you borrow decent players? Derby have got, have got a couple at the moment. Um, Leeds don't have that, you know. They're all our own players. We had one game this year where the whole bench was five under 21s. He's played something like six or seven kids and they've contributed. They're really good players. Um, so it's an exciting time, I guess, for, for my club. We've talked about the calibre the, and the history of the championship clubs there. In the latest issue of 442, we also have the list of the 51 best EFL players. And something that struck me is the, the last England team that was put out, there were six players in that team who've come through the divisions from clubs at lower levels. You know, the, the Maguires, Pickfords, Rose, um, a player that should still be in around England, but isn't his Vardy is the poster boy for, for, for coming from lower leagues. Does it strike you, Sam, that clubs, the top-end clubs, are, are missing out on a whole uh, sea of quality players that just aren't being given the chance? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And one name you missed there, which you talk about poster boys, is Deli Alley. Yeah, of um, course. Uh, I think there's seven of them. I think we counted seven who yeah. played in that in that last England and game. So, you know, he he's seen... He didn't come through the academies. I, I did a, a, a piece uh, on Deli Ali's uh, MK Don years for for, for, an, for another um, outlet and and spoke to four or five people from MK Don's who had played with him. And he was playing regularly at a young age and getting that experience. And you know, Tottenham and England are now are now feeling the the the, the benefit of that. I, I think yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you can get you can get bargains. I mean, Tottenham Tottenham um, paid five million. For, for Deli Alley and you know, what's he worth now in the in the silly market? 80, 90, 100 million. So it's strange that people don't take more of a more of a risk there because if you can spend five, ten million and get that back five times, why wouldn't you? So England are are very much boasting players that, that have established themselves at larger clubs, but having started out at smaller clubs, uh, there are less academy players in you know there are less top academy players in in the national team at the moment in the English national team than than there are teams that, that the players that have made their way through the levels and uh, if you want to know who 442 consider to be the 50 best fi it, well it was it was 50 when i arrived and I, a you should always have a, a, an odd a, an odd number because it makes people curious but i couldn't like all of these things you can't believe that certain people are or aren't in and um i added the editor's choice my choice was luke freeman who uh, is a, a sort of attacking midfielder at QPR, and he simply he was brilliant. He took Leeds apart three, four weeks ago. Um, but your favourite, if you support a, a lower league team, there's a good chance that one of your players in there, whether it's uh, MK Dons, Fleetwood, Norwich, QPR, Mansfield, wherever, they're all in there. You've been listening to the first 442 podcast with myself, James Brown, and very special guests two great writers who both got brilliant pieces in this current issue uh, Sam Pilger who's written the Keegan piece thank you Sam and Andy Mitten our editor at large who's written a fantastic cover story with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer thank you Andy thanks thank you